welcome back to the Weighing In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen. This is episode number 119. On the line, as always, David Mirakatani. David, how are things? Good, man. You know, we made that announcement and uh, we went on Tony Hager's podcast and um, we uh, went to a district in, in Missouri this weekend and we're going to the state tournament. It's, it's that time of year, man. You and I have spoken about it. It's uh, Wrestling never really stops, but for a lot of people, this is the next six weeks are kind of the penultimate of the season. Absolutely. We had national champions crowned this weekend, lots of state champions around the around the country, and it's just it's getting to be that time of year. It's winning time. Yeah, for sure. It's it's, it's get it done time. That's absolutely right. Speaking of winning, uh, if you know a lot about wrestling, David's got the, the deal for you. <laughs> Your segues are awesome. Yeah. So fantasygrade.com and the Fantasy Wrestling National Championships. They want you to prove that you've got the most knowledge about wrestling in the country. They have two events. They have an online contest, which is a salary cap event, and they have a live auction contest being held at the Yard Restaurant in Pittsburgh the Wednesday night before the NCAA wrestling tournament. You want to prove that you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country. Go to fantasygrade.com and sign up for both contests. The live contest features over $300 of guaranteed prizes. And all the rules or instructions are at fantasygrade.com. Sign up today and prove you're the smartest wrestling fan in the country. And I'm sure we have the smartest wrestling fans in the country listening to this podcast, so I want you guys to win. Um, this weekend was uh, a lot of good stuff around. Uh, I think we're going to start off with the WCWA championships, the women getting on the mat. It's, it's kind of a weird time in women's college wrestling. Um, the WCWA, if you don't know, uh, has been the umbrella organization over women's college wrestling since it really started having a team competition aspect to it. Um, and now this year for the first time, the NAIA has an official championship um, in women's wrestling that's coming up next month. So we're kind of in a transition period. We're hoping the NCAA comes on board. And really if the NCAA is listening um, to all my complaining for all their rules and Everything else, I'll make you a deal. Recognize women's wrestling. I'll take a year off of bashing anything with NCAA, guaranteed. So please, please make it an emergent sport. Um, but the NAIA has it already. And so now we have this kind of, it's not split really. There are a few teams because of budget constraints that decided to go to the NAIs and not go to the WCWAs. Uh, but we all the powers showed up in Atlanta last weekend. Uh, Menlo College won their first team title with three champions and nine All-Americans. Uh, they'll have seven returning next year, including two of their three champs. Uh, well, actually, no, all three of their champs are coming back, just two of the three, Aleda Martinez and Gracie Figueroa, which you know those names if you've been following women's wrestling um, at the high school level. Those two are freshmen, um, won titles this year. Jaden Laurent, also a freshman, won a title this year. It was really a youth movement going on in Women's college wrestling, only one repeat champion who is Dom Parrish from Simon Fraser. Uh, the Canadian Powers finished second this year in the team race, and uh, Parrish beat her teammate Alex Hedrick in the finals for the second year in a row. Uh, can you imagine that, battling your teammate in the finals two years in a row? That's crazy stuff. And then uh, kind of an emerging story after the fact, uh, Cheyenne Sissenstein of King finished seventh at 123, I believe. I may get that weight wrong. But she thought she had sprained her ankle badly, so she stayed off of it you know, before the tournament, leading up to it, didn't get to wrestle much, uh, went out, you know, kind of did what she could, got seventh. It was a really gritty tournament for her. Turns out that, that ankle was broken. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, wrestlers are tough and we know that, but that, that kind of stuff always blows my mind, how someone can basically wrestle on a broken ankle. It's amazing. So shout out to her. Hopefully she heals up and comes back. Uh, that's, that's an amazing accomplishment, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think it's the power of the mind and, you know, people being tough and it's, it's awesome that, that she did that and that it's so, uh, it's becoming well known. I think that's really important, right? Because there's still a lot of small minded people out there that think of women's wrestling more so on the outside. I don't think anybody so much really in our sport now, but as you, we try to get more mainstream fans, these are the kind of stories that I think can really help. Definitely. And, you know, I think, you know, I went to that tournament last year. Um, unfortunately, the schedule didn't work out this year to go to Atlanta, but uh, it's, it's an amazing event. You know, it's still small enough that you feel like you, you know, you have tremendous access for the fans. I mean, the teams are sitting in the stands among everybody else, screaming and yelling and getting loud. It's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, give a shout out to my open mat guys that they do the best WCWA coverage around. Uh, Earl Smith and Brandon Olinger were down there this weekend, did a great job. Um, and they're helping carry on the tradition with the Miranda medal, which we'll vote on after the NAIA tournament next, next month. But uh, just, it's great to see the, the women getting coverage. Um, I know it's tough in the wrestling media. We've got to make a lot of decisions on who we cover and who we don't. Uh, you know, there's tons of stuff that deserves our attention and only so many people to go around, but good job by those guys. So I just wanted to get that out there. Really enjoyed their coverage. For sure. Yeah. Good. Those guys did well. Yeah. There was Greco action overseas over the weekend in Zagreb. Um, it's the first ranking series event for UWW. U team USA sent a strong team. Uh, Xavier Johnson ended up taking silver at 63 kilos. Travis Rice finished fifth at the same weight class. And Giangelo Hancock bringing home a bronze at 97 kilos. Those three guys earned ranking points um, towards a possible seat at the World Championships. So nice job by them. Um, the downside, of course, was... Kamal Bay getting DQ'd in the quarters. Uh, really chippy match against a tall Russian. They clashed heads numerous times. Both guys got hit with caution and twos for uh, doing things they shouldn't have been doing and had some words at the break. Doing things they shouldn't have been doing. I like that. Well, you yeah. know, it, the Russians was for twisting the shoulder, you know, taking the arm outside the body and twisting the shoulder. Uh, Kamal's was for a headbutt, which it was hard to see if it, there was intent or not. Um, they clashed heads a lot during the match. It was very chippy. They had, they had words after the first period, uh, had to be separated, and then uh, I think there was three seconds left. Uh, they clashed a little bit. Russian hit him with what looked like a pretty good deliberate shoulder to the face, and Kamal took a swing, and it just went downhill from there. So um, very unfortunate to see. It's, it, you know, Greco's a tough sport, and it, I'm, you know, it's very physical. So that stuff happens from time to time, but you, know, you never want to see your guys getting red carded and um, that, you know, taking a swing is just, it's not something you want to see. And Bay is one of those guys we lean on in the Greco program. So, uh, hopefully he learns from this and bounces back. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you know, the, the problem is obviously we wanted to try to get him some ranking points just to make that path to victory or the path to the medals a little bit easier. But, uh, I've always kind of thought, I mean, I wrestled a lot of Greco. I've kind of always thought once you get to a certain level, uh, if the other guy's really good, it's kind of a legalized fist fight. You know, you just, you got to bang and be tough and just 
really take a lot of abuse. That's why a lot of Grunko guys got way worse cauliflower ears than other guys because it's just a lot of that. So, uh, you know, hopefully the Grunko program will continue to make needed improvement because right now it's it, it's not the most optimistic landscape for, for our program nationally. I mean, we do find at the age group levels, and we've talked about this, but once we get to the senior level, it seems to be a major struggle. Yeah, I thought, I mean, Three guys winning medals at the Zagre- or two guys winning medals and three guys getting points at the Zagreb. I thought that was interesting because it wasn't the names that always jump off the page at you. You know, we had some other guys there that you know have been on the national team and been on the world team. And, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that um, we've got. It seems like we've got some depth going. Uh, some guys that can compete that aren't necessarily making teams. Uh, but at the same time, not all of our best wrestlers scored points. So uh, kind of a mixed bag and, you know, still good that a couple of guys got medals at least. Um, and we'll see how they progress throughout the season. You know, progressing yeah. throughout the season, moving over to Oklahoma State, uh, they have shifted <laughs> lineups again. And <laughs> and we, we thought we knew what the lineup was going to be after Preston Weigel went down and everybody bumped up. Uh, but now Weigel has returned as a Friday night, won 2 nothing over Anthony McLaughlin of Air Force. And after the duel, John Smith announced that Dakota Gear will move back to 184. Toby Smith will move back to 174. And it appears Joe Smith will try to make 165, although uh, John hedged on that, said there would be a battle at 65 or 74 for a spot. So we'll see what happens, but... A really good wrestler is going to get left out here. Isn't that right, David? Yeah, and first of all, can you just tell the people how many weeks in a row I've had on our Google document, how many guys are up a weight in the Oklahoma State lineup? Because I think I put that up right when I, like, right before Scuffle. That's like, the well, great part. That's the great part about me being the host. I see these things on the document. If I don't want to talk about it, I just don't talk about it. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the year privileges, yeah, for sure. But I mean, I've I've never seen an Oklahoma State lineup where so many guys are up away. Like, I mean, Dayton can make twenty five. Cade can make thirty three. We know G can make forty one. We know Joe can make sixty five. We know Jacoby can make seventy four. We know Gear can make eighty four. That's seven guys. Right. That's crazy. I'm super interested. I'm super interested to see how this shakes out. I honestly thought Weigel was just going to take a sixth year, you know, with the way those things have been handed out. So um, I'm really interested. You and me did some math ahead of time, and it doesn't look like most of these guys could make it by the Iowa duel, but they're going to have to wrestle up a weight and weigh really light. So, you know, they're going to have to be like six, five, five, five and a half pounds under. So yeah, it's, it's hard with the one and a half percent descent plans. And of course, um, you know, I don't have access to what they weighed in at the last time they weighed in for most of these guys. I would, I would presume there's no chance for Dakota gear, um, just because of the gap between 197 and 184 to make it. And two weeks, it's not a lot, you know, it's basically less than 3% because, you know, you lose that one and a half percent the first week and then your number goes down because your body weight's lower. So. Just slightly less than three percent for two weeks, and you know there's things like well Joe didn't wrestle, 
against Air Force. So maybe his is three weeks till Iowa. Uh, but, you know, I think you did the math and he would have had to weigh less than 172.6 against Lehigh to make it. So I don't know what they weighed in at, but yeah, it looks like uh, the Cowboys are going to wrestle a little light, um, definitely against Missouri and then maybe a few of them against Iowa, depending on how things shake out. Well, and you, you wrestle like just cause you can make a weight doesn't mean you're going to perform well there. I mean, we saw that with Pantaleo, right? So like, I mean, obviously, you know, Joe isn't walking around at 2% body fat right now, but it doesn't mean he can wrestle well at 165. And he's wrestled pretty well at 164 with the exception of, you know, one weekend. Right. So, I mean, obviously, the recent weekend, but, I mean, he looked really good at Scuffle. I mean, I watched him live and, you know, then on, on you know, on stream, but he, I mean, he looked good. And he doesn't look like he's getting horsed at that weight either. No, and it's always interesting because I don't know how long this has been in the works. I mean, if they knew, obviously when Weigel first got hurt, they bumped everybody up. So they must have thought he was, at least there was a chance he wasn't coming back. Um, but it's hard to know how long they've known that this is a possibility. So maybe he was starting to peel his body down a little bit. I don't know. Uh, it's always a possibility. And then, of course, this time of year, you know, there's illness. There's all sorts of different things. But your point is a good one. Uh, we just don't know what everybody's going to look like those other weights. You know, we've seen Jacoby and Coda Gear both at their lower weights this year, uh, but it's been a while, and they haven't had to worry about cutting weight at all. So, and then of course, Joe, you, you put a, a bow on that nicely. I, I did want to put one more thing out there. You know, you mentioned Pantaleo. I was watching their duel against Northwestern this weekend, which we'll talk about in a minute. The announcers said that he got mononucleosis and lost a bunch of weight. And that's why he tried to make 149. Now, I don't know if I believe that or not, but they put it out there on the air. So they must have had some reason to believe that. Um, that's an interesting twist on the story because I think we all thought it was a, an effort to maybe get Lewin in the lineup. But maybe he was just light and thought he could take a chance. I don't believe that for a second. One, um, I follow him on social media. And, you know, he talks about how he's light, but he doesn't have any body fat. And two, when you get sick, when you get healthy, you gain the weight back. Like that, and Sean and Kellen and Terrell and those guys, they're too smart to go, yeah, let's do this your fifth year. We're just, you're going to get sick and we'll just have you hold the weight you haven't made in, you know, a couple of years. That that makes a lot of sense. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, it certainly is it off, the, Yeah, I'm from Missouri. You're going to have to show me on that one. I don't believe <laughs> Yeah. Who knows? Um, but speaking of that duel, in that one, uh, Sebastian Rivera, the number one 125-pounder in the nation from Northwestern, bumped up to challenge Stevan Micic, the number one 133-pounder in the nation. Um, it, you know, it kind of went as you'd expect. Micic is a little bit too big, a little bit too good. Uh, you know, Rivera, I'm sure, is going to go right back down to 125. It was just for fun and for a challenge, so... Uh, final score was 10-4 Micic. Uh, it was a fun match. I, I applaud both coaches for making it happen. Um, obviously, Northwestern really had to uh, go out of their way to make that happen. And uh, I thought it was a lot of fun, good for the sport. A lot of people talking about it, even though you know it wasn't an overly competitive match. But that's to be expected when you get down that, you know, got to give up that much weight to a really good wrestler. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in a different camp. Like, you know, like a lot of people will talk about how much courage or whatever it takes the guy to go up. 
I moved up in high school and tech followed the guy that won the weight class above me. And I moved up in college and lost by one to the guy that won, you know, junior college nationals that year and helped us win a duel. And I can tell you, it doesn't take any courage because you're not supposed to win. Right. Like it's not, it's not hard to wrestle a match. You're not supposed to win. We're like, you're the hero if you win. And if you lose, the excuse is already built in. And I think people that think that have completely forgotten about what competition is because it makes no sense. I mean, what I'm saying makes sense because that's how it works. Like there was no pressure on Rivera. There was no pressure on Seth Gross. And the other thing is Seth Gross announced it and they agreed to it. And I, I'm, I like that a lot better than just doing it and not telling the other guy ahead of time. Like I, you know, then there's really no pressure. And it, cause you're trying to catch the other guy by surprise. Yeah, I don't know. You know, obviously they knew by weigh-ins. Um, well, they didn't even know, have to know by weigh-ins. So, um, no, they didn't yeah, know weigh-ins. He weighed in at twenty-five. Right, he weighed in at twenty-five. So they, you know, I don't know when they they knew if they just knew when they walked out on the mat. Or uh, obviously, yeah. it hurts building up the you know the match that we got to do with Seth Gross and Bryce Meredith a year ago. Yeah, I agree with you on the whole no pressure thing, uh, but it's still, you know. There's no reason that they don't have to do that. Like he could have just gone out against Drew Matten and, you know, probably handled his business the way he's been wrestling. He might have gotten a, another bonus point win and gone about his day. So, yeah, it doesn't take courage necessarily, but it takes at least thinking about it and being interested in challenging yourself. So, yeah, and I think a lot of guys want to do that. Sure. But think about it this way he wrestles Matten. He's in a no-win situation. He's the number one guy he's supposed to win. He wrestles Misich. He's in a no-lose situation. And when you're the number one guy, you look for opportunities. I mean, like, I mean, you heard, like, Brady and the Patriots trying to tell everybody they were an underdog because for, like, 15 minutes, the spread was against them. Like, people look for those kind of things because that mental pressure is real. Yeah. So, I I mean, it's cool. I agree with you. It just doesn't happen very often. What doesn't happen any very often because of weight dissension. They don't let a guy. I mean, that's the dumb. That's the bad part of weight dissension, right? Like, if Rivera knows he's going to wrestle that, even I mean, obviously, Misich would know two hours earlier at weigh-ins, but he could go weigh one thirty that day. But now, if he weighs in at one thirty, we got to do the math on how many days before he can come back down to one twenty-five. So that's that's the downside of weight dissension. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, if it happened all the time, I'd be more with you that, yeah, there's no risk here. They do whatever they want. And you're right. There's no risk. I mean, it's not going to hurt his seed. It doesn't even count towards that because it's at a different weight. But, you know, people just don't do it very often. So it's cool when they do. Um, It's probably as much on that Daniello as anybody. It's not just no risk, too. Like, there's a ton of reward. Right. Like, even Russell's, like, I only lost to the guy. It's probably the match. I lost to the guy that won the nationals above me by one point, and I, I was never in that match. <laughs> like right. I was never. There was no point I was ahead. I think I scored late, you know, but I was just never in it. But I mean, like I could, if I was going to kind of stretch the truth, I can be like, yeah, it was a real close match. I mean, it wasn't, but point wise, it was close. So, yeah, yeah I, I, you know, go ahead. It's probably more, you know, credit to Matt Storniolo for letting um, Rivera do it. I mean, I think there's a lot of guys out there that probably want to do that, bump up and take on somebody good. Uh, 
but coaches don't often make that happen. So, and there's reasons for that. You know, obviously, if it was more competitive duel and Northwestern had a better shot, they wouldn't do that. You know, make that move. But uh, in this case, we're talking about a duel that uh, we might not otherwise be talking about. Yeah, for sure. I got you. And man, I mean, I'm not just... lot... Oh, go ahead. No, we don't go ahead. Uh, we're, man, we're all over each other today. Uh, this is bad podcasting. As we ahead. talk over each other all the time. <laughs> uh, just speaking of duels, you know, I, I mentioned it last week that they can be a lot of fun. You know, they get a bad rap sometimes for, you know, the team outcomes not really being worth much. And, and that's true, but there continue to be a ton of really exciting duels. Uh, watching the crowds and watching the teams react to some of these duels that come down to the last match is a lot of fun. And there was a bunch of them last weekend. So I'm going to run through these real quick and uh, give you a chance to, to react. And uh, So Buffalo beat Central Michigan 18-17 when Troy Keller got a tech fall in the final match. American beat Bucknell 22-21 on a pin by Nico Camacho in the final match. Wisconsin beat Illinois 17-16 on Hilger's major decision in the final match. Army beat Bucknell 22-19 on Ben Sullivan's pin in the final match. Binghamton beat Drexel 21-20 on a walk-off pin by Zach Trampy in the final match. And Chattanooga, now it, it wasn't as dramatic as the rest, but Chattanooga beat Campbell 18-12. They only had to win the last match to um, make sure, that, to avoid criteria. If Campbell had won by decision, it would have gone to criteria. But that Chattanooga win clinches a share of the SOCON regular season title and is Campbell's first dual loss all year. So shout out to Chattanooga. Nice win by them. Yeah, I, um, I will get into the details, but my favorite part of that is walk-off pin. I think you need to try to get that trending because that's an awesome phrase. <laughs> I like that one a lot. So, I mean, I saw Bono's press conference, and I think duels, I mean, you know, we, you and me get to talk a lot about this, and I get to talk to coaches, and they're sort of split opinions on whether duels should be part of the national title. I just think it's interesting that we wrestled this format all year and then we decide our national champions and we decide who our teams, you know, who the best teams are in a completely different format. It'd, it'd be like if a first down was 15 yards in the Super Bowl instead of 10, or there's only three downs or five downs instead of four. Uh, duels are a lot easier to follow. I mean, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into the Ohio State Penn State duel and, and preview Oklahoma State Mizzou. But it's a lot easier to break down why I think this team's going to win and why, as opposed to projecting team points in a tournament, especially when you don't know what the draws are. So I do think that wrestling needs to be aware that duels make it a lot easier for casual fans to understand. And, you know, I think that's anytime you get to be on the, the good end of, you know, a walk off tech, a walk off pin, you know, any of these, this looks like a tech, a pin, a major, a pin, and another pin. And then, like you said, Chattanooga doing some big things, especially with the coaching turnover there. Those are all really good moments. And a lot of these programs are not going to be in the top 10 at nationals. And this is something that keeps that program on good, good footing and good ground with their athletic department. So that's great. Yeah, I think we'll need to talk about the duels and how they should relate to the national tournament and all that stuff in the off season when we have a little more time, but I will say this, please bring back national duels. I don't care if the top teams don't want to go make, give me a bracket, let whoever wants to show up, show up and let's get after it. Cause that needs to come back. 
Morningstar said the same thing for the record. Okay. Well, I mean, every other division manages to make it happen. I don't understand why D1 can't be in that in that mix. So, moving on, um, it's that time again. Uh, the greatest mats in the world, the craziest designs, all on Resolite. David, tell us more about that. More probably the easiest read. <laughs> We're brought to you by Resolite, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From Resolite Zip Mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite the mat. Excellent. Uh, you mentioned school branding in that read, and I, it's really cool stuff that you can do on the mats. Uh, I attended the Oklahoma State Air Force duel uh, on Friday night, and Air Force has the best team headgear in the NCAA, and it's not close. Um, they have the, uh, <laughs> the A10 graphics from the from the old airframe. The A10, if if you're you know an Air Force guy like I am, you know what that's all about. The Warthog, very cool. Um, up and down the lineup, they all wear them. It's just you know you don't see a lot of that. Um, most guys you know personalize their headgear a little bit or wear different ones or whatever, but they, they're all in sync, and it was very cool to see. Uh, just thought I'd get that in there. Air Force doesn't get a lot of love. They're not having the best season, but, boy, they all fight, and you figured that from a service academy, right? For sure. I like the fact that you've just established that that's the best one and no one else needs to apply. I like, I like the decisiveness I mean, of that statement. I'm willing to, to listen, but, man, they look good, and I've seen pretty much every team in the country. I've never noticed any as good as that, so I'm going with it. We'll move up I to saw 125. Yeah, 125 pounds. Vito Arujo got a big win over Pat Glory of Princeton by fall in 427. Um, Cornell won, won their 846th Ivy League title in a row. Um, that's probably an overestimation, but it's about that at this point. Um, Elijah Oliver of Indiana also pinned Gabe Townsville of Stanford by fall in 652. Uh, David, what'd you think at 125? What was that number? 846? Is that what you I had? think that's what I said. I'd have to go back and listen to it. It's a lot. <laughs> solid. Solid. I moved Vito from 15 to 10 above glory. Uh, it's so, and, and Townsville dropped a few spots. Tell me what you think. I, I'm actually really in, intrigued by this. And I, let me go back. Elijah Oliver, really great ending to the match. The uh, excitement level from uh, Escobedo and Mike Dixon and those guys. I actually talked to Mike a week ago. Super happy. And it's impressive how hard those kids are fighting. How high can Vito go in the seedings? Because he's not going to, his highest ranked win is going to be glory. But at the same time, I mean, I'll lay it out. And then, you know, so like you've got above him, one, two, three, four, four big 10 guys. So like, and, you know, Milhoff's health is obviously questionable. You know, like, can he move up to five or six if he's undefeated? Can, I mean, if he's undefeated, Jack Mueller's undefeated, Ronnie Bresser's undefeated. How's this all going to work out? How do you see this shaking out? Because. That, to me, is fascinating. Yeah, and just for people that are yelling at the podcast, whatever you're playing it, because David said 
Arujo is undefeated. He's talking about for seeding terms at 125 pounds. His only loss is at 133, which won't count for the seeding um, discussion. Yeah, so, thank you, sir. Right, just to clarify. Uh, but yeah, uh, it really, you know, we talked about this at 174, and I'm sure we'll get into that here in a little while, but a lot has to do with where the coaches end up ranking him because he's going to be, if he beats Glory again at EIWAs and wins it, he's going to be undefeated. Uh, obviously he'll have the conference tournament bump over everybody but one in the Big Ten. He'd have it over Glory, which, you know, obviously at that point you expect that, you know, he's going to be higher than Glory anyway. Uh, Nick Piccinini and Spencer Lee should wrestle in two weeks, so Piccinini may or may not be undefeated at that point. Um, and if Lee runs the table the rest of the way, wins that match and wins Big Tens, then suddenly you're looking at Bresser, Mueller, and Arujao as your undefeateds, and it gets messy. Um, a lot will depend on how high the coaches rank him and who he's next to from a comparison standpoint when they start doing the shuffling. Um, I think he can absolutely get in the top five or six. I think he's got an outside shot at getting into the top four. Um, it just depends on how they Jack- fall. And- Go ahead. No, can Jack Mueller and Bresser... I'm going to ask a two-part question. How high can Mueller and Bresser be? And if Piccinini beat Spencer Lee, would he be number one, assuming Spencer Lee beat Rivera at Big, at big Ten? I, I think that would I think that would almost be a certainty with Piccinini just because if he gets the win over Lee and Lee wins the Big Tens and assuming Piccinini you know, does his job at the Big Twelves, they're probably going to put him number one for the coaches' ranking um, at that point because – Lee would Lee and Rivera would have split, and obviously he's got the win over Lee at that point. Um, I don't, I haven't run the numbers on the quality wins, and obviously the first RPI is due out this week, so we don't know that yet. But I think Pichinini could absolutely be number one. Mueller and Bresser are a harder standpoint, and again, it's going to depend a lot on what the coaches do with them. Um, you know, Mueller has some good wins, but he's out in the ACC. Sean Foz has struggled this year, hadn't wrestled a lot of matches. I don't know that he's going to get a great challenge out there in his tournament. Now, he's going to win, but I don't know how high he'll be ranked. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Bresser's kind of in the same spot, especially if Milhoff doesn't come back. I don't know that there's a lot of Pac-12 guys that can challenge him, and I don't know that his quality wins will be that high. Uh, So anytime you're undefeated, you're going to be in a good spot. A lot of it will just shake out how, what the coaches decide to do with those guys. If they decide to rank them a little bit lower, they'll have a hard time jumping a whole bunch of guys to get into that top four or five. But um, if they're already five, six, seven, they might get there. Um, I know that's kind of hedging, but without an RPI and without the quality, no, no, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. I, I'm not trying to hold your feet to the fire. I'm just genuinely interested because. To me, this is a super interesting weight where you've got three guys undefeated and no one's talking about those guys being number one. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking. Go ahead. Well, I'm looking forward. So let's say Spencer Lee beats Piccinini and then, you know, loses a really tight match to Rivera in the Big Ten final. He might get get the four seed. You know, he might be behind Bresser and, you know, uh, Mueller at that point, Jack. and of course he would be behind Rivera. So it, it's you, possible. You could see Rivera being one; those two guys being two, three. 
Spencer four, pitch five, and maybe like Vito six? Well, yeah, I mean, and then you've got Vito who could jump up in there or not. I think he's going to be, it's going to be hard for him. I mean, I'm looking at his stuff right now. He might only have two or three unique quality wins. So I think he, I think that's really going to hurt him um, unless some of these guys sneak in the back to qualify. But it, it's hard to tell. But yeah, there, there's the very real threat that whoever loses that final, especially if it's Lee for his second loss, uh, he could end up as the four, which I would be happy to take him in our fantasy contest if he's four. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the kind of stuff you yeah. start looking at. So, that's, Well, I'm saying you're going to be able to pick somebody really good is going to be six. Yeah. I, mean, that's, I guess that's kind of where you look at it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It's just like the draws, right, on, for your guy. Yeah. And I think everybody thinks that Spencer Lee is the highest ceiling. So, you know, if he's four, you, you want a two, three, six, or seven guy. And if he's two or three, then, you know, you want the one, four, five guys probably. You know, yeah, so at least you avoid him to look at. Well, and yeah, and, you know, we'll talk about it here in a minute when we get to 149. But, uh, you know, at some point we get these scenarios where we think we know what's going to happen. And then somebody that you never saw coming pulls something off and everything gets recalculated. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, moving up to 133. Roman Bravo Young started the Penn State-Ohio State duel with a 2-1 victory in tiebreaker one after he rode out Luke Pletcher. Um, that was a wild match. If we went back to the era of no reaction time, Luke Pletcher would have won it in sudden victory. Uh, but Roman Bravo Young was able to roll him through. There was no takedown and, like I said, got the ride out. Uh, the other notable result I saw was Gary Wayne Harding of North Carolina knocking off Corbin Myers of Virginia Tech 12-8. to uh, what did you make of it, David? So, Myers just dropped down below Harding. The Pletcher RBY thing was a little different. The week before, we had Pletcher at six and we had RBY at 16 because he had lost to Ben Thornton. So, the first thing we did was look at okay, does RBY's body of work, is it good enough to go above Thornton? And we decided it was. Then we looked at Luke Pletcher's body of work and still thought it was better than RBYs. And I struggle with this. When guys are within a couple spots of each other, I, I tend to lean more on head-to-head. -head. And people should know this. Like I had a college coach call me. I lean a lot on tournament performances because to be an All-American, you have to wrestle a tournament. Like one duel, the results matter. But if it happens in a tournament, I give it more weighting. So. The first five stayed the same. Pletcher dropped from six to eight. He, his uh, basement was Lezak because he had beaten Lezak head-to-head. RBY moved up above some notables like Ernesty, Tucker, and Bridges because none of those guys had really substantial wins. I mean, Bridges had Tariq Wilson on the ropes uh, at – South Beach, and that you know, we could talk about a lot of matches like you know, that would change things a lot. Like, if RBY had beaten Gomez, you know, where would he be? Where would Gomez be if he hadn't lost to Cephalo? And where would DeSanto be if he hadn't lost to Gomez? So, I mean, there's you know, DeSanto would be well, he's already a three, but he would be a two, he'd be undefeated, right? So, this is another weight class where it feels like matchups are going to be super interesting and deciding. Certainly. And uh, moving up to 141, the next match in that Penn State-Ohio State duel, Nick Lee 
came from behind to beat Joey McKenna seven to six. McKenna's first loss of the season, and uh, Kim Kelly of Ohio knocked off Sedarian Perry of Old Dominion six to five. Uh, you know, talking about the Lee McKenna duel, we you know we we talked a little bit uh, before we started recording, and you know that was the second match of the duel, and it was like, well, that's that's the end of the duel, right? I mean, it's over. <laughs> You're out of the building really quick. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the Sedarian Perry thing, he dropped. Because we first we looked and like, well, this, can Cam Kelly be ranked? And I think he was like 12 and 8 or something with some several non-ranked losses. So it just counted as a bad loss for Perry. Uh, he dropped right above Dom Demas because he had beaten him head-to-head. So the week before, we had McKenna 2, Ironman 3, Carr 4, Nick Lee 5. And Nick Lee's loss had been to Tristan Moran in overtime. You know, Moran's had some really good wins, some kind of wonky losses. So, you know, we had to put Lee above McKenna. And the question was, well, does McKenna drop down? Does Lee move up? And McKenna's beaten Ironman. Ironman's beaten Carr twice. It really didn't feel like you could drop McKenna below those guys. I mean, Ironman's losses are to Yanni and McKenna, and then the loss to Albert, and he was sick, but it still counts as a loss for sure. So Nick Lee's number two, and that's good because Penn State wasn't leading this team score projection by enough points. So, you know, now they, they definitely have a solid lead, which, you know, I'm sure they really think about and worry about, well, you know, where does track wrestling have us in the ranking? But he moves to two, and I think it, it makes – the Big Ten, super interesting, because if they seed it the way we have it, it's Lee 1, McKenna 2, Mikey Carr 3, Cannon Store 4, Tristan Moran 5, Mitch McKee 6, Max Murin 7, Chad Red 8. So eight of the top 14 are, are in that conference, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and of course, we got Nick Lee versus Mikey Carr likely on Sunday, so stay tuned <laughs> on that one. I don't even know what we would do if Mikey Carr beat Nick Lee. Like, I, I, I don't even know what we would do. I'm, you know, I don't root for guys, but in terms of saving time, I hope Nick Lee wins that match. So, <laughs> yeah. As someone who used to do sure. rankings, I totally understand that, that feeling. Yeah, it's not a bias. It's just like, win. I don't want to. Right. So, so I don't people should understand. That. I called you from a wrestling tournament. And between you and Andy and another buddy of mine spent 35 minutes talking about 174. So yeah. for people that think we just pull numbers out of the air and like I just use my opinion, like you might disagree with the rankings. And that's certainly because sometimes you just have to put a number next to a name. But there is a lot of thought that goes into it. And, and I do my absolute best to make them either right or the most justifiable. And I, I hope people appreciate at least appreciate Maybe appreciates the wrong word. Just hope that people understand that this is not something that we just slap numbers down and move on to the next thing. Right. We'll get to 174, which is a mess. Again. Uh, moving to 149, <laughs> Jordan Shearer of Nebraska majored Tommy Thorne 10-2. to 2. That was a little bit of a surprise with the margin of victory for sure. I mean, it was an upset anyway. Right. So if you see a major, that's surprising. Sure. Uh, Nebraska ended up winning that duel twenty-one to eighteen, and they won after winning every match from one forty-nine through one ninety-seven. Uh, so that was a little bit weird to see. Anthony Ashnold of Rutgers looked like he was going to take a huge, stunning upset against Fernie Silva of Indiana, but he rallied to win eight to seven. 
Um, I had to look Fernie Silva up. He was a D2 All-American last year for Notre Dame at 157. He's uh, he's only 3-7 and seven this year, but all of his matches have been close. Uh, it seems like he's one of those guys that's really, really going to give you a fight. Uh, he just got to figure out how to win a few more. Uh, it was pretty interesting, though. Ashnault got two back points right on the edge of the mat, and the feed was blocked right then. I mean, the referee went right between the camera and the action. Um, so you couldn't ever say for sure, but it certainly looked like their body position. They were very close to going out of bounds and out of the cylinder um, right before that, and they just rolled back in. If he hadn't gotten those two back points, we might be talking about a whole different match. Uh, just just kind of proves, yeah. like I was saying before, crazy stuff happens in time of year. See, and that's another crazy one, right? So if he loses, because there's really no changes in the rankings here. There was a, a change at 23, 24, and 25. But if he loses, he still has head-to-head over Micah. He still has a major head-to-head over Kaladzic. Those guys only have losses to him. So it's kind of how you look at it. Like, well, what are the best wins? Well, it's still Ashnall. What are the worst losses? It's Ashnall. So it just depends on which way you – I mean, right? Like, if he loses yeah, to Fernie yeah. Silva, Right. Nothing against Fernie, but that's the worst loss of these guys by a mile. Losing right. to a guy that's now four and six instead of three and seven. So, you know, and then we're going to talk about that same approach at 174. It's really difficult. I think at the end, you have to re- try to reward big wins over, over losses because, you know, wins are, it doesn't matter if it's a good loss or a bad loss at national, but a big win is what gets you advanced and gets you into the medal. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about, but anytime a guy has the best wins and the worst losses, it's really hard to figure out. They're awesome to rank. Those guys are my favorites. <laughs> Moving up to 157 pounds, Josh McClure seems to make this list every week now. Uh, North Carolina <laughs> 157 beat BC La Prada of Virginia Tech 3-1 to one in sudden victory one. So nice win by him again. Christian Pagdalau of Arizona State knocked off. How do you say this name again? Jarrett J.Q.'s. Jarrett Jake Hughes of Missouri, five to four. And Ryan Deacon looked like he was in trouble against Alec Pantaleo, uh, but came storming back to win 11 to nine. And what was really an entertaining match, Pantaleo, I think, got the first three takedowns. And then suddenly Deacon hit another gear. Pantaleo looked like he ran out of gas a little bit, and Deacon did enough to get the victory. Yeah. Pantaleo is a super dangerous guy, right? Like his ceiling. Like, he could make the finals if he's on the other side of North. Like, I think he wants to be seated fifth, not sixth. And we've got him fifth right now. I mean, mean sixth, not fifth. Yeah, he wants to be sixth, not fifth. Correct. I mean, here's here's what's crazy this weight in the Big Ten. North, Berger, Deacon, Pantaleo, Hayes, Caleb Young, Steve Wise, seven of the top eight. And then Griffin Perriott's 10, John Lambrill's 11. Eric Barone is 13. So literally 10 of the top 13 guys are in that conference. So, you know, like when people say, well, you know, they take too many guys. Well, Eric Barone is, you know, if if the seed's old, he'd be the 10th guy. And, you know, he's ranked 13th for a reason, even if you think he's ranked 10 spots high. He deserves to go to nationals if he's the 23rd, if he's put together the 23rd best resume. He just happens to be an absolute meat grinder of a conference at his weight class. Yep, I agree with that. I don't get the people that object to the um, 
to the qualification criteria, you earn it. So if you earned it throughout the season, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Moving on to 165 pounds. Uh, only big results I found this week was Demetrius Samaro's uh, return to the mat. He lost to Branson Ashworth of Wyoming 6-1. to one. And then he turned around and beat Bryce Dyer of Northern Iowa eight to four. So uh, we knew Romero was going to be, you know, uh, it's always interesting when they come back off of a layoff. UVU was missing nine out of ten starters at one point a couple weeks ago, and uh, Romero's back on the mat, which they have to like. Um, you know, the loss to Ashworth is not a killer. He's a good wrestler, ranked ahead of Romero, but to turn around and beat Bryce Dyer like that—that that was impressive. Right, we had Romero going into the weekend at eight. Ashworth at 10 and Steyer at 12. So Romero stays above Steyer. Ashworth moves up above him. That also bumped Logan, Logan Massa in eight. So it helped Michigan in the team scores as well. Yeah, Massa looks like another guy that, I mean, he's struggled at times this year, but he may be putting it together. He's dangerous too. I wouldn't want to have him drawn into one of my top two seeds. Five of the top eight. Big yeah. Ten guys at that too, so <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And your and your boy Deshaun Campbell's coming down too, so that, that's another guy yeah, that'll be in the mix. He's already wrestling yeah. at one sixty five, and then of course, if Joe Smith ends up at one sixty five, he'll be a very, uh, very poor seed because he won't have any track record there. Uh, so this way, could have some fireworks early. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh yeah, I mean, it's, can you imagine being the six or seven seed and you draw Joe Smith first round? You know, like you're Isaiah Wider, Mikai Lewis, and you draw Joe Joe Smith first round. I almost said Joe Lewis, like it's a boxing fight from the 1930s, but you know, but I mean, it's even different spelling. But anyway, just I mean, that's going to be awful if that happens. Yep. Moving up to 174. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think. This did fly under the radar a little bit because Penn State and Ohio State were, ha were happening right about this time. Uh, but Daniel Lewis pinned Zahid Valencia in 415. It was Valencia's first college loss uh, to someone not named Mark Hall. Uh, it, it was one of those things. It was a good match. Um, you know, obviously second period, so there was a long ways to go. But uh, Lewis was trailing by two when he locked up a cradle and turned Valencia over. Obviously, if he gets the four, he's up by two. So... It's one of those matches. I don't think anybody saw it coming, but obviously, Lewis, we know how dangerous he is, and he got him. Uh, so that was impressive. The other results I have marked here, uh, Kimball Bastion did kind of what Romero did. He lost to Hayden Hastings of Wyoming, and then he turned around and beat Taylor Luan of Northern Iowa. So I'm sure you had fun with that. And uh, Greg Harvey of Pittsburgh knocked off Daniel Bullard of NC State 6-4. to four. Pitt actually beat NC State at NC State, 18-16, to 16, so big win for them. Yeah, let's bury the lead and go through the – Bullard drops a bunch. He drops four spots for losing. Um, Kimball Bastion, that was a problem because he beat the guy that was six the week before, and he lost to the guy that was 24 the week before. So that wasn't great. At the end of the day – we left Bastion the same, and we couldn't really drop Lujan because he just beat Joe Smith, and Joe Smith just beat McFadden, and McFadden's body of work is better than Labriola. So he gets a mulligan, but it's a really he's on a really short leash now. So I'm going to walk through this two, three, four thing here. It's a bunch of ways to look at it, but you helped me a lot. And basically what it comes down to is 
you know, Lewis has only lost to uh, Amin. Amin has lost to Zahid and Hall, and Zahid has lost to Lewis and Hall. If you make the assumption that Lewis would lose to Hall, which may be correct or not, they basically all have one loss, or they would all have two losses, however you want to say that. So you, there's a couple ways to do this. If you go by recency, you, here was your argument. You said Lewis has the best win. He has to be number two. My counter argument to that is, well, if his, the best win is Zahid, that kind of tells you we think Zahid's the best guy. I ended up going, by the way, with Lewis at two, but I'm just saying there's multiple ways to look at this. Here's what I ultimately broke it down to. Zahid has beaten Miles Mean. I don't know how many times. And the other part of it is, and this is a projection, but I think Zahid's going to win the Pac-12s, and I think Lewis is going to win the Max, and I don't think Miles Mean is going to beat Mark Hall and win the Pac-10s, or beat the win the Big Tens, excuse me. So then they would, Lewis and Zahid would, the head-to-head would be a huge criteria. So Lewis goes over Zahid, and then Zahid goes over Amin. That, that's how we got there. But we went through a lot of iterations and a lot of different arguments to try to get it right. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, we had an extended conversation, so you know what I think. But it's it's interesting when this stuff happens. Obviously, you have a three-way round robin that is, you know, you can tie break however you like. Um, at this point in the season, I don't like using uh, prior year necessarily, um, you know, for the results type stuff. But they're really tied for second. I think I said that at one point on Saturday, they're really all three just tied at this point. So you're really picking nits trying to figure out how can we figure this out. Zahid has been the man. Um, You know, he lost to Hall, so obviously, number one, is out. But, you know, we all talked about, you you did a nice job of breaking it down. Amin has a loss to Hall. We're going to assume Lewis would lose to Hall just because of how things go. But, you know, Zahid has never lost to anybody else. He's only lost to Hall, who's a national champion in his entire history. And so, you know, I, I don't like using prior years for results, but when you look at the reputation of Zahid, that's the best win. Now, I think there is an argument to put Zahid second and just leave him there based on that. Um, right. But I think you have to reward the win, you know, at this point. When you have a tie like that, you, I think you have to reward a guy that went out and beat somebody that, you know, he wasn't supposed to. And yeah, he's got the loss to a mean, so you can argue it the other way. At, at the end of the day, this is going to get figured out. Although, when we went through it, you know, from a seeding criteria standpoint, Daniel Lewis has the winning percentage. He's going to have common opponent over a mean. And there was one other one that he's going to have. Oh, he's going to, because he's going to be a conference champion. So yeah. those three factors outweigh head-to-head in the seating criteria that Vince Double uses. So if you look at it like that, it makes sense to put him too, because um, he'd obviously have criteria over Zahid. Uh, but it's, it's interesting, and it's super close, and any of those guys gets upset or pulls an upset, we're going to be revisiting it again. So <laughs> good. The crazy, mean, fun. The crazy one. Go ahead. Oh, I just, I'm just saying, I think this is good for the weight. Like, I thought Hall and Zahid would never lose again except to each other. And that, you know, it's good to have extra guys in the mix here. I think the crazy thing would be if Amin beat Mark Hall at Big Tens. Yep. 
because then it's chaos, right? Absolutely. Because Mean would have still have two losses. Zahid would have two losses. Daniel Lewis would have one loss. Mark Hall would have one loss. They'd have all sorts of, you know, you go through their common opponents against each other, which we all know. We just add that one result. The crazy thing is Mark Hall would be the one guy that didn't win his conference in that scenario, which, you know, we know is, is a factor in the criteria. So it's, uh, it's, it's going to be, and, and I, I'm telling you, I get, I still get mixed up once in a while. Cause I keep thinking Mizzou once out of every five times, I keep thinking Mizzou is in the big 12 and Northern Iowa is in the Mac and it's the other way around. So well, as long as you know, they're in opposite conferences. that, that, that's really all you need. <laughs> Thank you. Journalist of the year. <laughs> I appreciate the guy. <laughs> Yeah, for Moving sure. Up to 184 pounds. Uh, I a stunner might have been as surprising as Lewis pinning Zahid just from a. Yes. I didn't see this coming. Um, Nino Bonacorzi of Pitt knocked off Mick Reen in eight to nothing um, in that duel as Pitt won. Like I mentioned before, I went back and watched it because I saw the result and I just really wanted to know how it happened. Um, I think it's clear at this point that Reenan is limited in certain positions and. Bonacorzi was able to get to his leg and put him in positions where he couldn't scramble and couldn't do anything about it. Um, also did a great job of riding on top. So um, I, that tape is going to be out there. And, you know, I don't know if Renan's going to get healthy by the postseason or if he's still going to be limited, but uh, this tape is going to be out there. And I think there's going to be, we're going to see more guys put this game plan into, uh, into effect. Really good job by Bonacorzi. He's a freshman. It's a legit win. Uh, I mean, Bonacorsi bumped up a couple spots. Renan dropped a spot. Shakur Rashid is second. And I, I don't know how I feel about that because he's somehow just not wrestled anybody really good, you know, all year. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, like he didn't wrestle Vens, didn't wrestle. I mean, he just hasn't wrestled. You know, he didn't wrestle Miles Martin the other night. I don't know how that's going to work with seeding at the Big Tens. You know, I know there's arguments out there that he'll be the four or five seed there. And if that happens and he loses to Miles Martin and then he has to wrestle either Venz or Parker for third, I mean, if he were to be seeded fourth, he may end up like being an eight or ninth seed at the Nationals. I mean, and then obviously, you know, like we've got Jacoby Smith at nine right now. Like, what do we do if gear comes back in? Like, I think. You know, not to go revisit something, but that's another thing that Oklahoma State has to consider is how will these guys be seated? You know, this isn't a jiu-jitsu tournament. All they care about is the champions. Like, they wrestle the eight spots, and if you have the super best guy by a mile, the draw doesn't matter. But if you don't, and Dakota Gear, Jacoby Smith, Joe Smith, and Chandler Rogers, none of those guys are like, well, that dude's going to make the finals no matter what. They're all guys that would have to actually wrestle really well to make the finals and upset guys to make the finals. So that's another factor to consider in all of that. Yeah, and you know, I, I checked into that a little bit. Uh, Gear and Jacoby, because they had matches at that weight before they went up, uh, can still have enough match. They will have enough matches at their weight to have a winning percentage and a coach's ranking. Um, the only thing they'll be lacking is an RPI and obviously some quality win points. But as long as they win the Big 12s, um, 
they'll be in good shape. Now, obviously, that's not easy for a guy like Dakota Gear. You know, Drew Foster's at that weight. There's a couple other guys. It's not going to be easy for Jacoby either. Luan there. Uh, yeah, he's got Luan, right? Yeah. But if they do, they have a chance to earn a good seed because they'll have enough matches to get that winning percentage and all that stuff. That helps to some extent. Um, but, but Joe yeah. would not, right, if he was at 65? Uh, because he won't be able to make 65 till Iowa at the earliest. He'd need, he needs five matches to get a coach's ranking, and he needs eight to get a winning percentage. So if he is a top-four seed at the Big 12s, he'll get three if he wins it or makes the finals. So that's only four matches between Iowa and the Big 12 tournament unless he loses and goes to the backside. So, and then his seat is going to be shot anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, at so. this point, with, his, with as little matches as he has, that's going to be rough on him. All right. right. Let's get to 197 because there's a lot to unpack here and we're pushing an hour already. <laughs> We've been All talking. Right. Here we go. So 197, Bo Nickel pins Colin Moore in 138. Um, just a stunning display of power that's not even really surprising from Nickel anymore. He just seems to do it. He's just amazing. Uh, Brandon Whitman of North Carolina knocked off Tom Slay of Virginia Tech 7-4. to four. Christian Brunner of Purdue over Nathan Traxler of Stanford 4-3. to three. Uh, Ben Honus of Cornell dealt Patrick Brucky of Princeton his first loss of the year, beating him 7-6. to six. Kellen Stout of Pittsburgh upset Malik McDonald at NC State 5-4. to four. And Drew Phipps of Bucknell knocked off Rocco Kaywood of Army 7-3. to three. So that's three guys in the top five that lost this week. One of them was supposed to. <laughs> what did you do? Right. Brucky got a pass. Uh, that, that was tough. But, you know, he was undefeated. He's beat some good guys. You know, he's got a head-to-head over Warner. Warner's got a head-to-head over Miklas. We brought Weigel back in. We dropped Kaywood to seven. Uh, Brunner moved up. Traxler dropped from seven to 13. Honus did jump six spots for his win with over, over Brucky. I think, and then Malik McDonald dropped and Kellen Stout came into the rankings. I think what this tells us, and I know we're pushing time, but this is a wait all year where we've said somebody crazy is going to place here at Nationals that we're not counting on. And, you know, it, it could be like Jordan Strigow at 18 or Greg Bolzak at 17. Could You know, one of these guys could end up in the semis and it wouldn't actually be that shocking because this weight just has, these guys are all golf teamy, but there's just not a lot of depth in this weight. Right. Yeah, and I mean, Weigel coming back is kind of the X factor because he could be a top three guy or he could be, you know, not healthy and not a factor. So, and anything in between. So. Really interesting right. times at 197. Moving up to 285, uh, Corey Gilliland-Daniel knocked off Billy Miller of Virginia Tech 3-2 to to clinch the win for the Tar Heels over the Hokies. That was 18-14 was that dual score. Uh, Sam Stoll rebounded from his loss last week to beat Yosef Hamida of Maryland 1-0. And Conan Jennings of Northwestern beat Mason Paris of Michigan 7-5. That is an upset by rankings, but it's the second time Jennings has knocked off Paris. Yeah, and... Corey Gilliland Daniel also beat Demetrius Thomas from Pittsburgh. So what? that factored in the ranking is I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. Sorry, I missed that one. Yeah. No worries. Um, but I mean just because it changed it, it affected things. So Paris was five and Desi was six, Stoll was seven, Jennings was eight. We moved Stoll and Jennings to five and six. 
This way, Stoll has beaten Jennings. Jennings has beaten Paris twice. Paris major Desi. Then the next Corey Gill and Daniel jumped up from 21 to 18. Demetrius Thomas dropped from 15 to 19 and Billy Miller dropped from 16 to 20. So that was the, those were the main happenings there. Yeah. And it's, you know, heavyweights getting more and more interesting with, you know, Hamida's struggling a little bit, but of course he's wrestled, he wrestled stolen Stevenson over the weekend. So it's, it's hard to <laughs> say how that's going. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to really draw too many conclusions from that. Um, it's just a lot of guys. You know, Stevenson looks like he's at the top of the heap, but that uh, that next that second tier and the third tier especially, there's a lot of guys making their cases depending on who's there each week. So very interesting times at heavyweight. All right, so we've got Oklahoma State and Missouri coming up this weekend. Uh, why don't you give us a quick recap of how we did picking Penn State, Ohio State? Well, we were basically the same, right? We picked everything the same, so we were – we were wrong at 33. We were wrong at 41. You picked major at 97, and it was a pin, but you're closer than me. So, you <laughs> know, I had decision. So, I mean, major's definitely closer to first period decking. So, I mean, but I don't think any one of us thought that the duel was just going to gear was going to get taken out of the gym like that. It was crazy. No, that was very surprising. Um, just because of the way it, the, where it started, that just, it ended any dual uh, drama that we might have had. So, um, but you know, Penn State does that sometimes. And if they have RBY, if he ends up being an All American and Nickley ends up second, like they're, you know, Nickley's ranked there now, they're going to be not only impossible to beat, but they're going to be pushing a points record, I think. So um, that'll be interesting to watch, at least. Okay. Oklahoma State and Missouri this weekend. Missouri is riding a long dual win streak, which I meant to have pulled up, but I do not currently. I think it's in the 30s. Do I, if I, remember I think that it was right. 36. Yeah, I think it was 36, so it might be 37 or something after this last week. Um, last year, Missouri came down to Oklahoma State and uh, got the victory in Gallagher-Ibo Arena. Uh, that one featured Ironman pinning Dean Heil, which was a stunning event. Um, this year, it's it's really interesting with the lineup shift for Oklahoma State. Um, do you want to pick first? I think I picked first last week. I'm going to go out on a limb and take Piccinini. Okay. Bye. I'll say Major. Okay. So, that 4-0, 4 in the OSU column. Um, yeah, I think it's a Major. Piccinini's been wrestling very aggressively lately. Um Deck Punky is going to give him a fight, but it's going to be hard to hold him without bonus points here. So I'll go with the major as well. Uh, moving up to 133, John Ernesti against Dayton Fix. Uh, I've got Fix by decision. I will, unfortunately, because that's boring, agree with that. So uh, 141, Cade Brock and Jaden Ironman. They actually wrestled in my charity event. So I'm going to take Jaden and I think they need points. So I'm going to take Jaden by major. Okay, I'll take Jaden by decision. Cade's um, okay. wrestling better lately, but absolutely that could be a that that match could have fireworks. So it uh, wouldn't surprise me to see a lot of points on the board there. Forty nine, Caden Gefeller and Brock Mahler. I'm excited to see this match. Yeah, um, yeah. Mahler has been very good. Um, 
that loss to the Iowa State uh, guy that is it Ian Parker? Dagan. I can't remember. Dagan. Jared Dagan. Yeah, Jared. Yep. Right. Um, that loss is kind of holding his ranking down, but this is his chance to really let the nation know about him. Um, and Gefeller is a gamer. Like he goes out and he he just finds a way to win yes. matches. So I, I'm going to go with Gefeller. It's going to be super tight. I'll take him in a decision. I want to see this duel interesting. Missouri has to win this match, so I'll take uh, I'll take Mahler by decision. So right. that's a big that's a that's a swing match, right? I think we both agree it's a one or two point match. I would think. So. Oh yeah, I could definitely see either guy winning this. Um, the X factor here is Caden Gefeller. Looked like he got injured a little bit during the Air Force match. Looked like he might have tweaked a muscle in his rib cage area or oblique. Um, he kept wrestling, so. Who knows um, after a week, but keep an eye on that. Um, hopefully we see him at full strength and we can see that match. 157 pounds, Garrett Jacques against Wyatt Sheets. Uh, it's your pick. Um, Wyatt Sheets is actually wrestling well, but I'll take Jacques by decision. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I agree with you. Sheets has been interesting to say the least, and he's really good on top, which gives him a you know, a trump card to play in a close match. Uh, but Jacques has been really good this year, and I, I don't think Sheets is quite ready for that kind of win yet. So I'll go with, I'll go with you on that one. Uh, moving up to 165, Chandler Rogers against Connor Flynn. I've got Rogers by decision. He didn't look great in his first match back, but he'll have another week of training under his belt, and I think he's just he's good enough. Um, I don't think it'll be fireworks, just a decision. I agree. So let's go to probably the there's two or this this match might be the the you know in terms of ranking the match of the duel. So Daniel Lewis, Joe Smith. Uh I mean obviously Joe's really good, but I, I think it's almost disrespectful to pick against Daniel Lewis after he pins Zahid Valencia. So I'll take Lewis by decision. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean Joe is gonna be pulling weight further, which I just I think that takes away any chance of a of an upset here. Um, I don't think Lewis has enough to get the major, but I think it's going to be a, a comfortable four or five point decision, I would think. So, With Lewis a lot of riding time. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, 184, Jacoby Smith and Dylan Wisman. Um, I, I think Smith is still the pick here. He's kind of been hit and miss at 184, just depending on guys who are long, um, you know, just depending on the match. But uh, Wisman's been better this year, so I think this is a – a harder match to pick than it was, uh, but I think Jacoby gets the win here by decision. I agree. That takes us to 97, Weigel and Kelling. And I, I would normally, if Weigel was up to 100%, I'd probably pick Major, but I'm going to say uh, Preston Weigel by decision. Yeah, I mean, he won 2 to nothing um, against Air Force. It was classic Weigel, you know, get the escape, uh, ride, ride the guy out in the third period, 2 to nothing. So. I think we'll see that again. Um, yeah, decision. So that leaves us Derek White and Zach Elam. This is really interesting to me because they're kind of the same type of wrestler, athletic heavyweight, um, you know, moves a lot, not the biggest guys in the world. Uh, but White's just wrestling so well this year. I think it's definitely a decision for him. Um, and if Elam doesn't bring his A game, it could be a major. I'm not going to pick it. I think it's going to be a four or five point win for Derek White. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. So, I mean, so you've got it, let's see, 4, 7, 10. You've got it 22 to 9. I've got it 19 to 13. 
because I've got yeah. the swing match and I've got uh, Ironman with bonus. And I'm going to tell you this right now. There's no way Mizzou loses seven out of ten matches at home. They're going to pull some upset that probably neither one of us picked. But, yeah. I mean, they just are so good in dual meets and so good at home. And I'm going to be at that match. It's in between the, the, the third and fifth place matches and the finals of the state tournament. And you just walk across the parking lot from Mizzou Arena to Hearns. They're, they're going to probably have 4,000 people there. It's going to be crazy. I mean, and it's in a place where 4,000 people is going to be really loud. So people just need to be aware that it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be silly there. Yeah, I'll tell you right now. I think they circle 133 because Fix has struggled against long guys. Uh, all year long, he's had trouble getting it into his offense. So that's one they could win. And then 184, they absolutely could flip that one. And that's without anything crazy happen, happening. So, um, And if Weigel's not 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It, yeah, I mean, what I saw from Weigel, I think he's got enough. But, yeah, second match back, off for a long time, you just never know. Right. So we'll just see how wrong we were next week, for sure. Definitely. Well, we have talked everyone's ear off. So if you hung in with us this long, thank you very much. Uh, David, you got anything for the people before we head out of here? Soriano Misic. Can't wait to see that match. That's the other main one I'm really looking forward to seeing. And Wick Marinelli so again. Many good matches. Yeah, so many yep. good matches around the country. All right. Tune in next week for episode 120. We'll come back and talk about it all. Until then, enjoy your week and wrestle hard out there, everybody. This is Alex Steen for David Maritani signing off.